There's certain air pressure drops we've been recording. Coming up in this special, it's back to the Cybermen. We're into the Troughton era. Oh, I liked him. <laughs> All that and more in this exciting episode of Doctor Who. And the complete menagerie. Almost. Hello, my name is Sam. I'm Greg. I'm Charlie. And we're here talking about possibly the classic era of Cybermen. It's the 60s, late 60s era, when it was almost like the Cybermen were on every other story, wasn't it? And who was Doctor Who in it? Patrick Troughton. Oh, I remember him. Classic stuff. It's very exciting. I mean, as you say, Charlie, it's classic stuff. But before we get knee-deep in it, I've got a line to see. Oh, right. Is it already ready? away. Yeah, it's baby. Okay, mm. so I'm going to try and do it best I can. What you got for it? Look, what am I supposed to do? I'm none too clever behind the wheel of a car. Never mind a time vessel. It's almost like a Tegan Javanka impersonation. <laughs> I'll give you it again. <laughs> Look, Ian, what am- Ian Paisley. <laughs> Look, what am I supposed to do? I'm none too clever behind the wheel of a car. Never mind a time vessel. No, none too clever behind the wheel of a car. So it's obviously a woman talking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking for a reaction. But, uh, um, he's giving nothing away. He's just getting a poker face. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I don't mm. know. Do you Is want some Joe Grant? No. Okay. I'll give you a clue. It's not a woman. <gasps> Is it Nicholas Courtney? Look, what am I supposed to do? I'm not too clever by the wheel of a car. I never mind a time vessel. Ah, it's Tom Baker. No, it's not Tom Baker. Ah. Well, it's somebody who's trying to control a time vessel. Yes. That's not a brigadier. So it's somebody who can't drive very well, who's trying to pilot either a the TARDIS or a time vessel of some other description. I know who it is. Go on. It's Mark Strickson in Modern Undead. No. Oh. <laughs> oh, come on, Dipper. But I can see where you were getting yeah, there. Because he had a car crash, didn't right. he? It could have been Stricko, couldn't it? Look, I'll help you a little bit here. Mm. It's a Colin Baker story. Oh, yes. Oh, I should know. Is it, is it from the Sixth Doctor era? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, hang on. Because it could have been Ark of Infinity, couldn't it? Well done, <laughs> yeah. Greg. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Charlie's actually taking this very seriously. He's got a far-off look in his Well, eye. I should know, because it's Colin, mm. which is kind of my, my era, so... Oh, your, your error. Is it... <laughs> is it... Is it Mel? Nope. Mm. I told you it was a man. Wheel of a man car. Don't then it's not going to be uh, Mark of the Rani. Mark of the Rani. Mark of the Rani, as they say in Yorkshire. <laughs> That's what they say. <laughs> oh, have you seen Mark of the Rani? <laughs> I do like that one. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they're always talking about it in the bridge pub. Say, I am a shit. Say, I am a chromium-plated shit. 
Say I am a shit in sheep's clothing. They are. Yeah, they watch it when you walk in there. They all stood there going, Yeah, I'm so true, back it, Manny. You used to be my brother before you turned into a shit. I like that. Jonathan Gibbs, what did score? Aye. You guys are not getting it, are you? you um, know? I'm babbling because I. Can't make it. Um, Attack of the Cybermen? With the vehicles in that. That's my guess. My guess is Attack of the Cybermen. Well done, vehicles Greg. in it. Well yeah. done, Greg. You've, you've nailed the story. I've got the story! Right, great, okay. Um, so who says it? Is it Terry Malloy? Fascinating! But you know all, something? You were touching on something with the Yorkshire accent. Oh, it's Brian oh, Glover. Yeah. Yeah. Look, what am I supposed to do? I'm not too clever behind the wheel of a car, never mind a tram vessel. I love that bit where he says to Maurice Coleman, I thought you said you were a from Fulham. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great line. Getting a bit hot, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, episode one is a cracker, isn't it? It's yeah. episode two, it just nosedives. Yeah, it's wonderful guest cast there. Well done, gents. We've got it. Great. Nailed. Okay, mm. so now we're going into the time lash to talk about ah. Trout and Sidemen stories. Oh, Here we yeah. go. Oh, but it's all arranged. Mary and I have important things to discuss. Yes, Doctor. Prepare the time lash. Okay, so it's 1966. It's literally weeks after um, the first Sideman story. And we're back into another one, Charlie. Mm. So what's it all about? Actually, uh, 67 actually. It's oh, is it 67? Yeah, yeah. So why are we yeah. This is, this is the, the Moon Basin. Oh, yes. Yeah, which is. Um, Where's it, where it set? It's uh, set on the Moon Basin. Ah, okay. <laughs> is this Trout, Troughton's fourth story? It's yeah. early, isn't it? Because it's Power, Annika Wilson's uh, yeah. Underwater Menace. Underwater, underwater Menace. Yes, it's the fourth one. Yeah. So James is still early days, trying to bed in. Yeah. Which is the reason why he's written into a hospital bed for most of the story. Ah, it's superfluous to require. Wasn't it? Wasn't because he had measles again? No, no, not again. Because you only get that once, didn't you? That was a mind way, uh, mind um, robber. Yeah, which yes. happened later. Indeed, absolutely. Was he ill at all during the production of Moonbase? No, uh, no, he just wasn't required. Touch uh, of athlete's foot. Doctor Who is not required. Right. He had a touch of the of misses when she mm. saw she passed away <laughs> in, in Kinder. Mm. Just write him into a hospital bed for a few episodes. Yeah. You'll be fine. Lying down acting. I'll tell you a story. I used to live with a guy called Gav, and my nickname for him was Gavitron. And only I found it funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's gr- Gravitron to his friend. <laughs> so, what's the story about, Charlie? Yeah, well, we're on mm. the moon, and, <laughs> and uh, the, basically they're going to Mars, and the doctor crash lands on, on the moon. And they want to go out and have a quick shifty, a bit of a, uh, you know, explore around. So they put these mm. ridiculous goldfish bowl helmets on and go for a run yeah. on the surface of the moon, mm. during which time Jamie hurts himself. They then come across this moon base, which is um, a weather control installation on the moon. The Gravitron is supposed to control the tides of the Earth to control uh, the weather. Mm. That's why they're there um, with a guy, um, Patrick Barr, is plays the character in the main guy, the main, the boss man, 
who later appeared in uh, the films of Peter Walker, uh, horror films in the 70s. Oh, you've lost me now. Specifically, The Flesh and Blood Show and The House of Whipcord, if you're into that sort of thing. Do check it out. It's available now on VHS. Absolutely. Mm. It's bleak beyond words, but, but good mm. stuff. Um, and uh, they are experiencing some strange occurrences inside the, 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 the base, specifically uh, reductions in the atmospheric pressure and there's, there's stuff going missing. Mm. And then they're all getting ill and right. getting these kind of weird kind of rashes all over their faces and they can't understand why that is. Mm. So there's a mystery as to what's going on. And I call the moon base without us knowing that the Cybermen are involved. That, that's mm. a sort of reveal mm. later on. Yes, that's quite an interesting point, isn't it? Because after that, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a whole trope of Cybermen stories with the name in the title. Well, they called it a bit it of a giveaway. In the target novelisation, they called it Doctor Who and the Cybermen. That's right. Mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, but apart from the invasion and Earthshock, as you say, they're, they're in the wind space. In the wind space. Silver Nemesis. Yeah, what are we talking about? Right? <laughs> <laughs> we've we've copped this up. Yeah, yeah. Silver Nemesis <laughs> of the Cybermen. Fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> Start again. <laughs> <laughs> So, Alan Rose in it. <laughs> Alan Rose in it. Yes, Alan Rose. Victor Pemberton's in it. Yes. Yeah. Um, the guy from Both Forty gay. Towers is in it. Which um, one? The guy who plays um, um, the French guy. He was the, the chef, wasn't he? Oh. In Gourmet Night. Oh my, was he really? He Gosh, I'd the, never made that connection. Who gives uh, Basil Fawlty the duck, yes. Ah, is he the one that quite likes Andrew Sachs? No. No, no, no he's, Greek. he's Greek. He's Greek. He's, he's in the Tenth Planet. Manuel, he doesn't love me! Well, well, you have to give these things time. I want Manuel! Well, I'm sure we can arrange something. Now, can I have the bottle? He's so sweet! Yes, he is sweet, I know, yes. He's wonderful! Yes, yes, I know. The Greeks, they invented it, didn't they? They did, didn't they? Oh, I, want the wants a kiss. <laughs> <laughs> I want the Manuel! kiss. I want the Manuel now! <laughs> Uh, so yeah, and so the so doctor, all in it. the doctor uh, and his companions turn up, and of course uh, straight away they are prime suspects for mm. what's been going on. Mm. And Patrick Barr um, gives them a hard time, but then mm. it turns out that of course they're not, and they decide that eventually it comes out that the Cybermen are culprits. Now this is when the plot goes batshit mm. for me, mm. because what they're doing is they're trying to get into the base to control the gravitron to destroy the Earth. But how do they get into the base? Now, this is written by Kit Pedler, who is a scientist and should have known better, to be honest. Mm. Because the plan is, or what they've been doing is, they've been getting into the base by cutting a hole in the wall, mm. sneaking in, mm. and putting some little poison pellets <clears> into <throat> the sugar supply, mm. and going back out through the hole and covering it up with some bags of sugar. Which is completely and utterly bonkers. Yes. Uh, mm. The wrong way of doing it. Yes. Uh, and there's that, that great line which you mentioned earlier, Sam, which is. Clever. Should be pointless, pointless, <laughs> pointless. You know. You'd have dug a tunnel. I'd have just walked through the door and gone, just shot everybody and gone right. Yeah. It's over there, get mm. control of it. Mm. It's a very contrived way of knocking people off slowly, and this is something the Cybermen do. And it, it, we keep coming back to this. The wind in space is a good example of, of, of going one beyond yeah. in terms of. A, a convoluted way of going through a plot to destroy the earth. It's a way to tell a simple story over five or six episodes, isn't it? That's the problem. It's just, it's it's putting things in place which don't need to be there. Um, I mean, Revenge of the Sidemen is another example of that. You know. I just wonder whether or not. Um, I mean, Gagarin had been in space. You know, was in space in '61. Yeah. So they would have known what atmospheric pressures would have been like in space. Mm. There's a scene with a tea tray as well, where there's a, a hole in, oh, yeah. in the, um, mm. the dome with a yeah. tea tray to cover it. It's utter rubbish, yeah. scientifically. 
but they should have known by then how it would have been, yeah. what would have been required, and what was required to mm. plug up a hole when you're in space, yes. you are going to die. It's well, presumably uh, Neil Armstrong didn't watch the moon base uh, during training to go mm. on with the Apollo mission. I think the important point, though, is that the general public wouldn't have been all that aware of the of the constrictions of uh, how space worked and a vacuum worked. So it was probably just convincing enough for the general public who were like, hyped for space anyway to mm. buy it. Oh, if you have a hole, everything gets sucked out. You put the tea tray. That's clever, isn't it? What a solution. What would happen in reality? Would the tree, tea tray bulge out? Uh, bulge out. Because yeah. it would not have the resistance mm. to actually keep all the air pressure inside. Yeah. It, would have, it would have cracked. And you probably couldn't get a true seal either, could you? No. The surfaces wouldn't be entirely intact, no. so you'd then run the risk of it sort of well, slipping off. Once you have the breach, the whole mm. dome would have gone. Yeah. That's yeah. it. it would have, the structural integrity would have mm. gone. A bit like the, the Comet aircraft, the first jetliners in the 50s. Mm. They had one tiny fissure, and then the whole thing would have exploded because it's, it's an explosion, effectively, mm. of, of, of pressured air escaping. So, yeah. in a glass dome like that, Charlie, you're absolutely right. Would have, the whole thing would have fractured. They'd yeah. all have been killed yeah. almost instantaneously. I think so. And also, people would have been sucked through the hole. We've all seen Goldfinger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Mm. Um, other than that, Troughton's getting comfier with the role. He's becoming the doctor a bit more he's playing it a lot straighter yes isn't he? Well, which is a good thing you know. have you st- have you searched this room mm. have you searched this room you know, it comes out very nicely mm. you know? and it's I've always said this that the, the doctor is is at his best when he's playing it straight mm. uh-huh. and starts at this point to play it straight to his benefit yeah, yeah, yeah. But he nearly, he nearly died, didn't he? The gravitron nearly, <laughs> nearly fell on him. So well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's what yeah, knocked some sense into him. Maybe yeah, I, I don't know. But do you know one thing as well? The Doctor does seem generally concerned in this story, mm. and that makes it seem more threatening than it probably is. He Troughton did that beautifully, though, didn't he? I mean, throughout his tenure, the drama is in, yeah. is in, in that performance. And, yeah, yeah. and um, for me, off piece a little bit, but for me, Trout is best doing that in Mind Robber One. Oh, real yes. feeling of, mm. of, of jeopardy and a real mm. threat menacing and he plays it so wonderfully straight um, and here's when it begins I mean obviously we can't judge from the performance on the screen because the Highlanders and Paladalics doesn't exist at the moment Phil Morris um, <laughs> so until that uh, is released in the future we, we won't be able to judge quite how comedically he played it but we know that the Highlanders is a good example of him playing it for laughs. I think you, you, your hope is false. I, I, my belief is there will always be 110 missing. <laughs> <laughs> Fist on thigh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. uh, there's a big change in this, though, with the Cybermen. I mean, they've been completely redesigned. Uh, I think for the for an absolute benefit uh, of the screen, because suddenly they're sleeker, they're trimmer, they're faster moving, mm. and they really fixed everything that was wrong in the last ones. And the voices are very different, aren't they? It's the, the forty phone it comes out for the first time, which is, is quite effective. But do you do you prefer that to the later kind of um, um, the delivery where you can hear what they're saying? Because yeah. particularly at the beginning of the Within Space, it's just beyond. It's yeah, garbled. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. Mm. It is garbled, yeah. And at the end of the Within Space, they've changed it so mm. that it's far more delivered, far more naturally. But here, you can you can hear what they're saying, so I think it's at this point it's fine. Mm. It becomes difficult later on. Mm. Uh, 
I'm not too bothered about They don't say much in this story anyway, so it's not such a problem. And even what they do say isn't that important because we're told all the time when we cut back to the base exactly what's going on. It's, it's info dump. It seems to be Jerry Davis is very good at exposition, um, which we'll come back to uh, later when he, he's, his great triumph, uh, Revenge of the Cybermen. But um, <laughs> it, it's not the best written Doctor Who story. But do you know what? It's solid fare. What did you describe it as, Greg? Which I think is one of the best descriptions of the moon base I've ever heard. Solid fare. No. <laughs> the 50s thing. Oh, yeah, 50s B-movie. It is. Yeah. So you can imagine the yeah. trailer. Doctor Who in the moon base. Wipes text across the screen, you know. <laughs> yeah. It flips across. Meet the dastardly Cyberman on the moon. <laughs> well, it's that wonderful line at the end, isn't it? Well, that's taken care of the Cybermen. <laughs> I like it. One by one, their limbs became diseased. They were replaced by plastic and steel. Their brains tired, but computers worked just as well. Surviving episodes. I can't remember now. Does it, when Doctor Who realizes it's the he finds out episode two, doesn't he? Yeah, which so, exists. Mm. Yeah. Is he like, ooh, my mortal enemies, or is he sort of? No, it's still early days for the Cybermen. Yeah. They're just an irritant, aren't they? And right. They just come back. One thing I did notice watching the DVD, which is, you know, we're so blessed today, aren't we? But I remember this was on the years tapes. Oh yes, years. presented by Colin Baker. Yes. Hello. <laughs> I'm Sixth Doctor Who Colin Baker. <laughs> the Cybermen. Oh, God, here we go. What a lacklustre introduction. But anyway, <laughs> uh, we've got a whole episode dedicated to the year's tapes. Just, just <laughs> hold yourself, steal yourself. This is urgent. Yes, so episode four of the Moonbase, I remember being particularly unwatchable. It was like watching it in a snowstorm. Oh, it was! Do you yes. remember how bad it was? Like it was. A, a millionth generation copy of yeah. a VHS, wasn't it? That's what it was. It looked like, like it was, you mm. know, made on Chaplin's backlot and forgotten about. It, it sounded like that. I thought it was like. And then it cuts back to Colin Baker. Great stuff. <laughs> it's like JNT couldn't be bothered to find a copy that hadn't been left in a skip <laughs> for 30 years. Well, was there one, or did they need Mark Ayres to digitally remaster? Well, no, there was a better version. He just couldn't be bothered to source it. Yeah. So now we watch it on DVD in wonderful clarity. You can actually see, mm. you know, 
exactly what's going on. I actually think the Moonbase is a solid Doctor Who story. It's actually a better story than the Tenth Planet in many ways because it's, it's it's more consistent, it's more evenly told. The sets are beautiful. Uh, some of it's very silly, of course, because it's written by Jerry Davis. But you know, on the whole, it's a wholly entertaining, like you say, Greg, B movie concept. I enjoyed the novelisation. The novel's a completely different ball game. I think it actually he's refined a lot of the concepts in the novel. I had pictures in. But there were more pages, and the text was slightly bulkier. Yes, so when I was reading it as a ten-year-old, I was like, Oh, it's slightly bulkier text, I'm not sure. <laughs> Can I read this? It's a bit old-fashioned, the, the font. I've not seen this font. It was all braille, Greg. pictures. <laughs> I know what you mean, though, Greg. I was e- equally put off by um, the, the Ice Warriors by Brian Hales, because oh, it was yeah. it, very dense text. Mm. I like, oh, I don't like all these serifs. Yeah, very brown pages. <laughs> these pages were really brown, didn't they? Uh, I, I want to go mm. and watch a ter- read a Terry Dix. <laughs> wanted everything in Comic Sans in those days. <laughs> Friendly right. text, not offensive. Yeah. But yeah, do you know how many TARDIS is out of five of the Moonbase, gentlemen? Three? I give it a three, yeah. I quite enjoy it. I agree. Good pot boiler. A a solid three. Mm. Are things going to improve? I suspect they may. What follows? Well, I think it's the 1967 adventure Doctor Who and the Tomb of the Cybermen. a good bit of music from Tomb of the Cybermen it isn't is. it but it wasn't written for it though was no it? <clears throat> but we've claimed it as ours now it was archive archive music yes I've got they it they just dug out but was that Douglas G- uh, Gamely uh, uh, it's on the CD uh, I forget who it's by Let me... it's a whole a litany of uh, uh, composers for this particular one it's not all the same guy oh right lots of different bits and pieces this chap was called Douglas Gamely wasn't yeah, it yeah yeah mm. He did a lot of the Brit horror stuff. Right. There's people the, playing... The Amicus films. Ah! Milton Sobotsky stuff. Robert Powell. Milton, not gay, Sobotsky. Mm-hmm. 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 Milton Sobotsky! No, 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 that's wrong. You see. That's, you got, <laughs> Milton was a very quiet, unassuming... No, no, don't tell us this! No, 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 hang on, no. It was his, his partner who was called Max Rosenberg. He was a guy with thumb tables and say, Get me Cushing! Ah! Uh, he was a guy who did that right. stuff. Okay. But Milton was the guy, the backroom guy. Right. So I've heard. He wasn't gay. Fifteen children. <laughs> I, can't, I can't find the CD, but uh, mm. the, the, I think one one track's called Dramatics, and they've been using the same stock music since the Tenth Planet, and it, it, it rears up again in Moonbase, and I think in Tomb it's become iconic for that. Lots of space adventures, isn't it? That's right. It's great, though, isn't it? The drums. Did he mind not being credited for the incidental music? I mean, did, did, did he take it gamely? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? I often wondered who that person was. Library stock. Mm. I must buy some of his records. Yeah. <laughs> I was reading it in Mr. Mr. Stock. Mr. L's Mr. Stock. <laughs> Any relation to Nigel Stock? <laughs> <laughs> so, Greg, you know, in in sixty seconds, can you just yes. appraise the plot of Doctor Who and the Tomb? of the Cybermen. Yes, it's a good one. They're all in it. Okay. It's got Patrick Troughton. Pat- so Patrick Troughton arrives on the planet Telos. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, the archaeologists are there, uh, funded by this crazy Greek guy who's clearly nefarious and up to no good. Manuel, he doesn't love me! And, um, and, uh, and they set off a, an explosion 
and one of the American guys, I think it's called George Rubicek, shouts, Man, you just blew yourself a pair of doors! And it's one of the great lines of Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. and, then, um, and then some guy is electrocuted. Uh, it's not Clive Merrison, who's also in the story, who later appeared in Paradise Towers. Deliberately telling this in a very terrible way. But anyway, Doctor Who turns up, uh, along with Fraser Hines... <laughs> <laughs> Wendy Padbury. <laughs> Not Wendy Padbury. <laughs> Don't know what thing, you ignoramus. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so um, so they're in it, and um, uh, and they're trying to be very encouraging to uh, Vicky, who's uh, Victoria, who's wearing a, a, a shorter skirt, because she's from the Victorian era. She's, her father was killed by the Daleks, uh, very sadly. Uh, so she's gone travelling with Doctor Who, and... Um, uh, and then they go into the tombs of the Cybermen, uh, which is uh, uh, to begin with. They only see this 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 um, this control center, and that's quite creepy enough. And they press various buttons, and they realise that other doors open, and they and then they, they're split off into various different sects of the archaeologists going around looking at different things, and various bits and bobs of them end up in peril. Yes. And the young Ber- is it Bernard Holly, who later appeared in um, Claws of Axos, yeah. um, very very good in it, but he's killed off at the end of episode one, and that's all quite shocking. And, and then, it, but then later they found the way to open this hatch, and then they go down into the tomb of the Cybermen, and it becomes even you know you think at the beginning it's quite claustrophobic, and then it becomes even more claustrophobic and tense. And then, and then, forty-five seconds. <laughs> and then the Greek guy, who's obviously up to no good. I want Manuel. Um, <laughs> I believe in logic, he says. <laughs> and, but he, he he brings the Cybermen back and kills off Cyril Shaps in the process. Cyril Shaps, who would later appear in Androids of Tara and Ambassadors of Death, and the Spy Who Loved Me. And was a, a great sort of very, very worried <laughs> Jewish character actor. Loved him. Uh, <laughs> And then, and so then, then they have to battle the Cybermen, and then they they, they they go up, and George Rubicek and Clyde Merrison are trying to sort of get the get the shuttle back so they can get off this planet. And Doctor Who can leave at any time, but he doesn't because as soon as that word is mentioned, Cybermen, so he has to stay, he has to you know see what happens, and he's meddling along the way as well. He's giving various clues, and he wants to know if George Pastel, who definitely wasn't born in 1882, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> is up to no good or not. Are you sure about that? Guy? <laughs> I think IMDB have corrected it now. Uh, long-standing fans will get that one. That guy was 95. <laughs> he looked really good, didn't he? He did. Didn't he look great? Botox. <laughs> Amazing what they can do these days. Um, yeah, and then it's all wrapped up in this big finale. And, of course, you know, what, what do they have to do? They sort of seal the Cybermen back into their tombs. Why awaken this, this deadly menace that's, that's there in the ice? It's very, very scary. It's very tense. Love it. It's a cracker, isn't mm. it? It's a Brilliant. real, it's a real good. And uh, Cyberman mythology has expanded because we are introduced to the Cyber Controller, aren't we? Which is like for the first time mm. we have rank in, mm. in the Cyber in the Cyber Army. He has a bigger head. All right, he's a he's a tall, tall mm. fellow, isn't he? And he seems to be the controlling influence of all the other Cybermen. Yes, I don't really understand the role of a Cyber Controller because if they're all exactly the same, they should all just follow the same instructions, like a like worker bees, which is the analogy, isn't it, in the show? Yeah. Which they're all in a hive, mm. effectively. But I suppose you need a queen bee, and that's the that was the concept. Mm. Um, mm. And of course, bees don't hibernate. No, yeah, they don't. Mm. No. They die. Well pointed, well mm. pointed out there. It's 
it's a very good story and it's incredibly well visualised, isn't it, for the time? I mean, those sets are extraordinary. Fantastic. I know it's very uh, intense, incredibly claustrophobic, but that 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 hive, for want of a better word, the tombs, Mm. incredible. Uh, It stands up. It stands up so well, and you know, it's a good job there was people stood in it. (laughs) (laughs) Fallen out if it wasn't standing up very well, Greg. Health and safety in 1967. Exactly. You know, but when it was rediscovered, uh, we got to see it. And then I experienced it again more recently as an audio experience with linking narration by Fraser Hines. Now, you're probably thinking the, the 1991 um, cassette. Yeah. But no. Pertwee's but, narration on the cassette, wasn't it? Was it? I know that it's Fraser Hines. I think Pertwee narrated the cassette. The cassette. Yeah, I think it was. Was it Pertwee? <coughs> it was a bit of a shitty release because they released it and then they found the, the tapes. Yeah, mm. so John Pertwee went to all that effort. Yes, describing Cybermen. All that because he was an expert on Cybermen. He's yeah, quite apt course. choice for yeah. cyber stories. Mm. He did the Five Doctors. He, oh, do you know? Yeah, you see, you got me there. Yeah, mm. hoist by my own Pertwee. Ah, I like that. Good. So, what did you listen to it on then? I listened to it on 180 gram gatefold vinyl. And how much did you Double pay? For vinyl. How much did you pay for that? <laughs> got it for free, so ah. I could review it. You swine! Yes, you can see the review on Entertainment Focus. Yes. Oh, fantastic! Yeah. Mm. Along with City of Death, which has also been released on that. Yeah. The 60s oh. stuff benefits though, because it's so dialogue yeah, yeah, heavy yeah. most of the time. Exactly, it works as yeah. radio, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Charlie, you know. Were you kind of like looking to watch Tomb of the Cybermen for years and years and then it was discovered? Were you disappointed by what you saw? Well, no, I see, I, I was because in the 80s when they found the Ice Warriors or most of it, oh, I wasn't that bothered about that because right. at the time it was you know, the actual real series being broadcast was, was more important to me. Hmm. In 92, when it was found, I was far more into it, the older mm. stuff. So, yes, it was mm. a big deal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a big thrill to see it. In, in my kitchen in Lancaster on an old mm. small TV set, uh, but it was a massive deal to the fans at the time. It was, it was. Deal. and it didn't disappoint. Mm. It, 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 it was wonderful. Yeah. Watched it over and over again. Oh gosh, yeah. Mm. Um, and looking back at it just recently, it just it holds up so wonderfully well. It really is a great um, piece of who, but. I think the, f- the four episode format, like, like the moon base, does pay off. Yes, it yeah, always does. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I remember picking up the VHS, was it in 1992 yeah. when it was yes. released? So, yeah. And it wasn't the nostalgia of it being found or the expectations, it was just a rollicking good story. And I'd go as far to say it's up there with Quatermass as being some of the best 60s TV yeah. of its genre. Mm-hmm. It I really is. It's, it's, it's not just good top two. It's absolutely fantastic drama. They just, it's, it's, everything's on the top of its game. Troughton's well-seated in the role. Yeah. You've got Morris Barry directing. He was a very yeah. mechanical director, mm. but so proficient so that so, everything mm. works. Mm. It's cut together with incredible pace. Mm. There's a wonderful ensemble of characters. And it's almost like they've had two goes at doing this kind of like base under siege style story yeah. effectively yeah. they've got it right with the third one the guest cast is cracking though isn't it yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like a McCoy story mm. you know the, the, where they always got really great actors to come in and, and, and do the guest bits but they're all really good in it and, you know people like Clive Merrison have had huge careers yeah um Shirley Cooklin, who uh, interesting character, yeah, yes. she she died more recently actually. Did she? Yeah, a couple she's of couple of was it a year ago? Oh, Within yeah. a year, mm. since she died. Yeah, and, and she I, was I think, at the end Ryan. of yes, yeah, right. yeah. Lots yeah. of lot of Bond uh, link, isn't it? 
Yes, civil shams. Civil shams. Was George Rubicek or he was in George Pastel? George Pastel was in From Russia with Love. Ah, as a train conductor. Am I right? That's right. He was. Roy Stewart, who played Tebbman, was Roy Stewart. Quarrel in Living That Die. He was indeed. Holy mother of pearl. I've just I've just read Roger Moore's diaries on that. I got a complimentary copy to review. Hardback. Thank you. Right. <laughs> Review he, available on Entertainment Focus. That's right. He, he mentions um, Roy Stewart in that in uh, complimentary terms. He uh, said he was a, J- a Jamaican. Greg would never pay for it. No, never pay for it. Never pay for it. <laughs> that's, a, that's an in joke, <laughs> and we'll keep it that way. <laughs> We're not inferring he's paid for it, by the way. Just make that clear. <laughs> never paid for it. Never, never paid for it. No, there's, a, there's a great line from from George Rubicek where he yeah. says. Someone's balled up the whole thing. Sounds like someone's balls up the yes. whole thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, it's true. Yeah. He fluffs a line as well, I think, of Ruby Jack. I can't remember which one. Does he? Possibly. And did you know also that, um, uh, trivia fans, that Desmond Llewellyn was up for the role of um, Rufus Parry? The, the, the oh, really? Right. The beard. Yeah, he was up for that role. You can see him playing that, though, yeah. actually. Yeah. Was it Aubrey Richards? Yes. Uh, well done. Well remembered. Mm. Yeah, Aubrey well Richards. Yeah. Good. good actor. Mm. And yeah, Roy, we've got Roy Stewart as well, of course. Who yeah. Later in Terror of the Autumns. Terror of the Autumns. He, he's a character who's quite distinctive. You know, a black actor. This is something that's been happening in the Simon mm. stories. There's international mm. casts, yeah, isn't yeah, there? So. True. You know, in um, Tenth Planet, there's an international cast. Mm. In Moonbase, there's a painfully international cast. It's almost what the left would consider to be racist now, because mm. you have stereotypes. But I think, you know, give, give credence to the 60s. They were making some effort, like mm. Jerry Anderson was, of having a, a complete um, cross-section of yes. society at the time, and that was the vision of the future. I think Star Trek probably had more success than that than Doctor Who did. But the Sidemen stories seem to have this recurring theme. Absolutely. It's on every single story. Yeah. It's international feel. And it's just it's kind of ramming it home a bit too much, yeah. you know. It's the same thing again and again and again. Um, but it's a nice point to make, mm. is that, that we're all different. It's sort of embrace the, the foreign, the base, the mm. um, welcoming the other. Yes. But Sidemen aren't, aren't uh, obviously keen to do that. It was, it was the 1960s. I mean, people were, you know, like my, my father was... Um, business by then and worked on teams with uh, blacks and Chinese and so on and so it was not unusual for him and for a lot of people by the night I think you know by the 1960s if you were uh, working within certain industries it was fairly normal so I yeah it's good that it was good that they reflected that on television it was normal in certain um, um, areas or in certain industries but, oh, not, yeah. but not in acting no oh no no if you no, no, no not like at all the guy no played, not at um, all in the music. Yeah, Rick James. There was a very, very few people available to play yeah, you know, yeah, a black character yeah. on, on TV. Yeah, yeah. So he, was, he went for the, the one who was available mm. rather than the one who was really good. Yeah. He's lovely though. I mean, he's not very good, but he's, very, he, he's, very deliver, he's delivering very lines which I think are written for either a Cockney or a Scouser. Mm. Uh, and, uh, and it doesn't really ring true. Well, Chris Cole was a Scouser, wasn't he? Who yeah. played uh, Stubbsy. Yeah, it's 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 odd. It's it's an odd casting choice. Good intentions, but doesn't work. And I think it's possibly the same with Tobman. Good intentions, but he's playing a servant man or a bouncer, effectively, yes. Yes. Who, who, who heavy, a heavy with very basic lines. I I remember thinking he was mute at first in, as a child until he started yes. saying, "No one get past Doberman," and thinking. Mm. 
this is not really helping. Um, but intentions were good. What I find interesting is he was the target to become a Cyberman. So Toberman mm. is foreshadowing what he is going to become, isn't it, in terms of his name? Yeah. Which is quite interesting. Mm. And it's something which we'll touch on maybe later. But well, it shows the Cybermen aren't racist. And the, you know, they no, choose anyone. And the, uh, you see his hand, don't you? His hand yes. It's a cyber, cybernetic hand. And you'll all become the same. Well, there's a character in, in Iceberg, isn't there, who's similar? Yes. Mm. Of, of Bono or Bono. Mm, that's right. The mm. big black guy because yeah. his number one choice to become yeah. because of his strength, strength, yeah. isn't he? He's identified as being the best specimen, which is yeah. quite, quite kind of chilling analysis, actually, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and that somewhat explains why the cyber controller is larger mm. in the, in Tomb of the Cybermen because he's a better specimen of human being. Interesting mm. stuff. I, I think Tomb of the Cybermen is. We could spend a whole podcast talking about oh, Tomb of the Cybermen, mm. but uh, for me, it's it's. Easily one of the best Doctor Who stories of all time. But thankfully, they, they would be able to go on and probably triumph uh, over two of the segments with the next cyber story. So, but we've not, we've not, we've not, um, we've not rated it. How many Tardises? How many How many Tardises out of five for two of the Cybermen? I'm going to put my cyber neck on the line here and say five Tardises. Yeah, me too. I can't disagree with that. We don't often get that, do we? Wow. <laughs> So after the triumph of Tomb of the Cybermen, it's a little bit of a break, isn't it? And uh, what's next in the Jean-Marc Lefissier book? According to the Jean-Marc Lefissier book, I'm just flicking through the pages, uh, Fury for the Deep has ended, victorious mm. on her way. I'm thinking, oh, a bit of a, ch ch a change of shift. You know, people are moving around the TARDIS, so we need something to ease the change in. How about a Cyberman story? And it's called The Wheel in Space. It's April 1968. Oh, yes. Now, a lot of this story is missing, isn't it, guys? Yes. It, it is. Is it just one episode? Two episodes. Two episodes. Two. Two. It feels like five. But... The interesting thing is it's five episodes, then. Mm. Uh, sorry, six, six, six episodes long. Mm. It's got the shortest story outline in Jean-Marc Lefissier's guide. I think that mm. speaks volumes. Does, yeah. So I'm just going to read it out to you. Okay. Mm. The TARDIS rematerializes inside a drifting rocket in which lurks a hostile servo robot. The rocket itself is in the orbit of the Wheel in Space, a giant space station where there have been reports of space rodents. The Doctor and Jamie are taken aboard the Wheel and find that the so-called rodents are Cybermats, a recreation of the Cybermen. They are again planning an Earth invasion. Even this is kind of like, you know, and again, <laughs> planning an Earth invasion. With the help of a young programmer, Zoe, who joins the TARDIS crew, the Doctor succeeds in annihilating the Cyberman's invasion fleet, while the Wheel is attacked by a meteorite storm. I have nothing to add to this. <laughs> I mean, I, I've well, watched I've watched one existing episode, which was is on the the years tapes ahead of this. Mm. Uh, I think it's one of the weakest Cybermen stories I've ever seen. I think yeah. mostly because there's only two Cybermen in it. Yeah. They don't they only work when they're on mass as yeah. a dominating force. But they look quite nice, don't they? The, 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 the Do new design think? I think is quite nice. Art Deco Cybermen is quite nice. It's, it's a slight change. I think it's not, the, the faces are very different. Yes, they've got those teardrops at the corners, like a, a sad Piero clown look, mm, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, Which is, yeah. I suppose, an interesting development. Yeah. That was a really good touch. <laughs> but, you know, I think this, this story really suffers from me just not knowing it very well because yeah. so much of the content is missing. Edward de Souza's in it. Is he? Oh, yes, yeah. 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 A young Edward de Souza. Mm. Oh, I have no idea, but he's in it. He plays... Um, Definitely in it. 
it plays a guy that sits at a desk a lot and passes messages to people. It's um, he's still alive. One of the great voices, yeah, yeah. brilliant voices. He was very good in that um, extended episode of One One Foot One Foot in the Algarve. When he played um, Mrs. Um, Doreen Mantle's love interest in that. Well, he was in um, Mrs. <clears throat> Unknown, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, and uh, Sapphire and Steel. Uh, episodes uh, Adventure Six. Uh, yeah. Was that the one with the swan? No, that's three. Uh, it was the one in the the petrol station. <laughs> <laughs> in the video shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what um, I think it's. I mean, I'm quite um, amused by uh, Trout's fluff. Mm. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? The sexual air. Sexual air supply. Cue for a song, isn't it? Oh, like he'd need any of them. <laughs> it's, it's it's a particularly bad fluff because it's it's a really shouty line as well. So it's like you couldn't miss it, could you? Mm. It's actually our surprise. Yes, it's sl- slightly embarrassing. It's just a very bland uh, story, unfortunately. That introduces a new companion, whom we're all very fond of. Sorry, uh, I'm not particularly fond of the redesign. I have to say, Charlie. Um, <clears throat> No, it seems like a weird mix between what was to follow, which was a, a big upgrade of the Cybermen. These are sort of really fragile. If anything, it's like a step back for me, where they look like if you just touch them, bits would fall off them. <laughs> they don't look like much of a threat. Mm-hmm. And they're plainly just diving suits, aren't they? Yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, so it doesn't work too well for me. And at the end, when we have this invasion sequence where the Cybermen are walking in space. Again, the science is bollocks. Doing flappy arms. Oh. <laughs> like Orville. Yeah. It's, it's... I wish I could fly <laughs> it's... right up to the sky. But I can't. It's a shocker. It really is. One good thing, though, the, the, there's a massive improvement in how the, um, the spacesuits look, which is a kind yeah. of recurring theme in Cybermen stories. This mm. is something I forgot to mention when we were talking about the moon base. Incredible um, interiors of a capsule in the tenth planet with really good costumes, mm. which I think are the same costumes they use in the web planet. Oh. Why, when we get to the moon base, does it suddenly look like Tintin? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. with yeah. these goldfish bowls. It it's just goes to show that you can sometimes have designers that are completely not engaged with the science. Mm. And one thing about the wheel in space, the production standards of the sets are quite attractive. Mm. But I feel, unfortunately, the story is somewhat uninspired and certainly over stretched into six episodes I think the guy who plays Jarvis Michael Turner shouts an awful lot but when Gemma who's his number two gets killed mm. the way he reacts to that is quite nice it's, it's kind of it, it kind of um, convinces you know, that he mm. goes on this rampage because they've killed Gemma and I think mm. that, that's, quite, that's quite touching actually I quite mm. like that as a, mm. as a kind of emotional reaction which right. you wouldn't get from a Cyberman mm. uh, but then again at the same time you've got Donald Sumter who's blacked up as a Mexican bandit type is now, called Rico. Yeah, gosh, it's yeah. all it's acting, which yeah. is crap. He's a good actor. I had to as like well. him precisely, wasted yeah. and blacked up, you know, for a role that he shouldn't have been playing. He was later in Sea Devils. Yes, he popped up in yes, another one. That's right. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Good actor, but not a favourite. This story, um, no. by, by, by any means. Um, you mentioned the. Uh, uh, meteorite storm at the end it's mm. about pure flash gold from the 30s it yeah. is really cheap it's it's cheaply done uh, and again bad science it doesn't really make any sense at all I'm not even sure I'm quite sure which episode still exists is it 2 and 4 2 and 6 2 and 6 you've got the finale oh you got the finale right which is the one I watched last night mm. I'm sure um, I'm sure 
Mr. Morris will return that one next to the archive. <laughs> we're all waiting for that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, no one's waiting for Power of the Daleks, Phil. No, not yeah, at all. You know, we really want another classic, you know, like mm. um, The Space Pirates, Episode 2. That'd be great. Let's yeah. have that one. <laughs> Phil, yeah. if you're listening. Yeah, I'm, I don't think he is. <laughs> Come on, Phil. He's too we're big. ready, Phil, we're ready. We can take it. Take my money. I, I'm just eager to move on to the mm. next one. So how many mm. TARDISes out of five, gentlemen? Two. I'm sure we'll all agree, but yeah, two. I think it's two for me. Mm. I, I just, I, it's not something I want to spend my life watching, which no. is, is quickly ticking away. So, every time I see it, it brings me out in wheels. Oh. Before we move on, we'll meet again. <laughs> <laughs> Any more? Oh. <laughs> it's here all week. Maybe we should put it in a wheelie bin. Oh, oh dear. The Invasion. Who wants to summarise this one? It's a long one. It's a long one. It is. But it's a good one. Yeah. Well, you want to have a go? Go on, Charlie. You, you try and summarise this in less than 60 seconds. This is the one I didn't watch but to, oh. to revise for this. But no, I'll, I'll have a go. Yeah, well, in 60 seconds, basically. This is the one with Tobias Vaughan, played by the ah. wonderful Kevin Stoney. Yes. Um, who is basically um, an, an agent of the, uh, the Cybermen. He becomes mm. a trope, I think. Mm. Uh, yes. Going forward, the, the human mm. traitor who is helping out the hu- human quizzling type. He's part cybernetic. Well, he is, that's right. Mm. Um, but he, he's a kind of a, a mogul um, uh, electronics whiz mm. who is infiltrating the Earth with cyber control stuff. Mm. The idea is that, that the cyber will, will c- take control of uh, humankind and then touch down and just sort of take, mm. take over. Mm. And of course, he will be given. You know, riches and control of his own, but won't be cybernized entirely. Right. Of course, that isn't the plan at all. No. Um, but it's called the invasion for a reason because we don't know it's the Cybermen until is it end of episode one or two? It's a bit later, isn't it? Yeah, is it episode yeah. two. Mm. Yeah, it could be. Um, which is a nice touch, which is similar to Invasion of Dinosaurs and, mm. and Earthshock. Is that it's a surprise who the baddie is. We don't know who it is until later on. Um, but it's very nice. Episodes one and. I think don't exist they were destroyed but the rest mm. did exist mm. one and four if it was four were animated by Cosgrove Hall very nicely mm. and did a good job great yes. expense um, so you can watch the whole thing really and enjoy it as a proper um, a proper story although they had um, Nick Courtney on the video didn't they? well that's right yeah, Nick Courtney is, it makes his first <coughs> appearance as, mm. the, uh, as the brigadier, or as, as the colonel, as is in this story. I think what uh, Greg was insinuating there was that it was Nick Courtney doing the linking narration in the 1993 VHS, oh, sorry, yes, written yeah. by John Nathan Turner, so of course it was slick. Episode four of this story is, like episode one, sadly missing from the BBC archives, but I'm able to fill in some of the gaps. The guards don't discover Jamie, who is helped out of the crate by the doctor once the guards depart. Jamie fails to convince the Doctor that something moved inside the crate. The Doctor is much more preoccupied. He and Jamie rescue Zoe and Isabel thanks to the support of the Brigadier and a unit helicopter. Meanwhile, Tobias Vaughan brings forward the planned invasion and forces Professor Watkins to return to London to work on the machine. The Doctor realises that recent UFO sightings are connected with Vaughan's operation, and by canoe, he and Jamie return to an international electromatics warehouse 
where his worst fears are confirmed. <laughs> Thank you, Pam. Yeah, well, yes, that's right. Uh, yes. But it's, it's, no, it's no match for the animation, which is obviously far more preferable. Mm. It makes a massive difference when you watch it with those episodes and reinstated, because yes. you actually understand where things are going, because mm. it's a little bit uh, discombobulating, I'd, I'd say, if you watch mm. it with just Nick Courtney's 1993 narration, because you don't know what the heck's mm. going on. No. Uh, and it's actually a beautifully crafted story. And it, it, seven episodes long. Eight. Eight. <coughs> Eight episodes long. Are you sure, Greg? No, yes. Sir. It's seven. <coughs> what, the invasion? Eight. Obviously. He's right, it's eight. Oh. <laughs> Shame on me. I'm not often right. Oh, Greg, well done. Shame on Stuck me. by his gun. Uh, eight episodes long, and it just rips along. It feels mm. like Inferno. It doesn't have any limp episodes for me. Mm. It's very much a precursor to the... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yes. like, more like the Avengers than anything. Mm. Lots of running around on Earth, which yes. is nice because it, it was fresh at the time. Yes. Because uh, we'd had, beg your pardon, we'd had um, uh, Boba Fair was the first time we met Brigadier, who was the colonel who became the Brigadier in the invasion. Yeah. Again, got it wrong. What am I drinking here? This is very good stuff, Craig. Thank you very mm, much. You're very welcome. Um, so the Brigadier is the Brigadier here. Mm. Um, and it's we have the wonderful St. Paul's Cathedral. Um, scene, oh. which is iconic stuff, mm-hmm. you know, really um, the real heart of Sixties Who, um, and um, yeah, it rattles along very nicely. So yeah, this is, I would say, this is probably on a par with two. Yes, yeah. I'd agree. Is it's it, is a it strong a, one. A Dougie Camfield directed one. Yes, which always helps. Was he was he ill for part of it? No, that, no, was, no, 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 that was Inferno, wasn't it? Yeah. It's a Dougie Canfield. Mm. And it's interesting, they introduce uh, Isabel, the, who's a, actually, I think, a prototype contemporary companion, uh, which I don't think we've had, actually, since the first it's season. Not since Polly. Oh, it's Polly, too. OK, well, not since Polly. She's and mentioned I, in um, Iceberg, isn't she? David Banks' novel. Yes, she is. Isabel. Mm. Yeah. Yes, she is. Several times. And she's like a prototype Katie Manning in some ways. Yeah. It's quite I, interesting, mm. you know. She she's fancies all the boys and everything else, and she's got that nice rapport. Mm. I think it's a really good story. Um, I think, is it John Levine's first uh, first uh, moment on screen no, as himself? No, no. Oh, as himself. Because he, he yeah. plays monsters and things before he was a Yeti, that. Yeah, yeah. But this is the first time he has a line. Am I right? Yeti. Yeti. Adukok. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a humdinger. Uh, I think it stands out purely because of its guest cast again, uh, with Kevin Stoney mm-hmm. giving an outstanding performance. It's not been that long since he played Magic Mavic Chen. Um, <laughs> true. In Take them back to Kendall. <laughs> Take them back to Kendall. <laughs> I'd love to go Just to get Kendall. Get out of here, there's too many Arabs. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely in Kendall. So we have, um, yeah, we have Kevin Stoney yes, in his... Soon. One of two stories in with the side men he appears. That's uh, right. Um, and yes, of course. Yeah, we'll come to later. Tirum, yeah. Tirum. Uh, but uh, yes, he's outstanding performance from Kevin Stoney, uh, mm. which is absolutely terrifying. He he is a psychopath mm. who he's a Bond villain, isn't he? He's a Bond villain. He it is. feels like the Bond influence is very strong. I agree. Mm. But he plays it so wonderfully straight until he loses yeah. his cool with Packer on the one, yeah. and like it's terrifying. Yeah. It really is convincing because he's been so controlled up until that point. Find them, Becca! Find them! Cracking. It's a really good moment. And also there's some pretty 
bang on direction here from mm. uh, Dougie Canfield when the cyber controller is revealed but at the back of the office oh, which yeah. is a wonderful idea for all the kiddies watching thinking mm. that their headmaster yeah. might be a cyberman yeah. <laughs> and in the back room there's a cyber control unit and there's a wonderful moment when the, the door lifts which is a bit creaky in some episodes yeah. but the light is shining on his face and he's squinting mm. looking into the light and it's shot mm. through the, the it is what they call it's the cyber beautifully and that model is really good is it called the cyber it's not called the cyber controller is it it's called something else the cyber uh, Ooh, got me now cyber op- operator it has a very sort of feminine voice doesn't it <laughs> is, it co- is it coordinate is it the cyber coordinator I mean David Banks's book will have some detail on it I'm mm. sure but um, yeah it, it's just it's beautifully put together um, and it would work as a movie yeah quite Ed- easy Edward Burnham's in it oh yes um, Peter Halliday yes Peter Halliday yes is Packer yeah, and we've got, because it's uh, Dougie Canfield, we've got Walter Randall, Ian Fairburn. Oh, Ian yeah. Fairburn's great. Part of his, uh, mm. his, his company. Mm. Yeah, Ian mm. Fairburn's wonderful in it as well. And also the professor, isn't it? Yeah, it's, um, uh, it's Edward Burnham, as you say, yeah. Professor Watkins, who would come back as... later as Kettlewell. Yes, mm. it, they could have made it the same character if, they, <laughs> if they'd worked on that, mm. couldn't they? But, uh, yeah, wasn't that supposed to have been... Um, the Professor Travers. The, professor it's, Travers. Yes, it was. Yeah. And, um, and presumably, Mr. It's, Jack it's Watling was unavailable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a very busy actor. He was a huge actor, mm. Jack Watling. People yeah. forget that. He was very well known. Another reason why this story works as a Cyberman story, and this is a good Doctor Who story, is they've, they've avoided everything sorry, that was wrong in the Wheel in Space, which is have it all studio bound mm. with two Cybermen. And they've made it on location with, it seems, dozens of them. I mean, yes. it really has some scale, doesn't it? Yes. And all the Cybermen look identical, which is a real boon as well. So mm. they can double them up and everything else. And I just, you do feel there is a real invasion force. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I absolutely love the, 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 the final episode as well. I mean, the action sequences are wonderful. Yeah. I'm sure everybody adores that bit where Troughton's running along going, Whoa! 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 <laughs> yes, it's a great the scene. Going off behind him. It's very Chaplin. Yeah. Very Chaplin. Yeah. But there's a right near his arse, you know. You, 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 would, you, would, you would be sort of uh, exclaiming. I would be. He'd blow would his be. foot off. Yeah. Running along. That'd put a oh, mocker I need on it. This foot. Oh, I'm an actor. <laughs> Got an episode of Inspector Morse coming up. But that's Dougie Canfield. He could shoot action on the yeah. screen. It really yeah, feels yeah. good. It feels like in some of those scenes do look like a, an episode of, say, uh, The Sweeney, you mm. know, when you've got the car cruising. Yeah. And the soundtrack alone yeah. is very of its time. And the, well. the Avengers and all those things. Yes. It's, it's, it, yeah, it has, a, it has an ITV yes. budget feel to it. Uh, uh, Cybermen opening, the, barging their way through the doors. Oh. And, yeah, yeah, some great, great moments. There's a bit with the um, um, manhole covers. Boing, boing, and the really Well, the sound effects are really good, aren't they? Because yeah. obviously they're not metal at all. They're yeah, wicker or whatever they are. But you believe it because of the sound. Yeah, it's really good. And aren't the designs such an improvement? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, yeah. They've yeah, really simplified it. Yeah. and and, draw, and the, the head is much larger. And it's the it's the the first sort of uh, proper sort of handlebar things is that right well the handlebars have always been there but what they've done is they they have this kind of like Mm. relief section which used to just be at the top these kind Mm. of like lines that would go Mm. which I think initially would have been looked like someone had scraped their hair back and it's evolved (laughs) into like a skull cap yeah. And then from the skull cap, it's turned into these what could only be described as earmuffs. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And mm-hmm. the, the head is substantially larger, mm-hmm. which is an interesting 
thing because it makes the bodies look proportionally smaller and leaner. So it looks like they're mm. kind of skinny now because the heads are so large. But what it gives them is this incredible height. Mm. So when you have the girls next to these side men, they look about eight feet tall. Yeah, it's yeah. really effective. So I think it's a massive design improvement. The voices are good as well, they're better, aren't they? They don't talk very much, though, no, in the invasion. Don't. I mean, again, no. most of the dialogue and most of the antagonism comes from Tobias Vaughan, the human agent. Yeah, 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 yeah. human agent. Well, don't you feel that it's he is becoming a bit like Davros would later on? He's, he's becoming a story about somebody else mm. and becoming just the cohorts or the yes. yeah, the cavalry, which yeah. is a bit, a bit of a step back, I think. Mm. But the scale is impressive, and it, you know it does work. It, it, we're just saying, you know, it, it feels a bit cheap, and you've got two sidemen, but when you've got eight walking down uh, St Paul's Cathedral, yeah. it has movie standards on the small it's amazing. screen. It's amazing. You know, I don't think the Cybermen ever had those ranks quite, quite to that number ever again. Really, mm. you know, not, did, not until later, not until the eighties. But did even in the eighties have that many Cybermen on screen at the same did time? They, did, did they in the Earthshot? Well, Earthshot, it was it was doubled up, wasn't it, on the screen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the, yeah. the, the mm. image was there. The image was there, but not mm. all in one shot right. done for real. Okay. Mm. So I'm, I I really rate the invasion. I love going back to it. There's so much going on. It's a real good piece of work. I'd have to give it four Tardises out of five. Yeah, okay, four. Yeah, four for me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see why it have to be four. Yeah, it's it's a very near classic. Isn't and it? never again will you see the Doctor in a canoe. No. <laughs> right. Although you did see him in various sort of vessels, didn't you? Like in. Uh, There's a robot in Tar. Tot Talons. Andros of Tara. Andros of Tara. Yeah, yeah. But um, not a canoe though. Not a canoe. Or a clag. No, that's very true. I think what we've touched on here is the last Doctor Who canoe performance. Who canoe? Hmm. (laughs) I think what we've touched on here with uh, Cybermen stories of the sixties is actually they're they're pretty good on the whole. Solid. They're solid. I mean, there's a few misfirings. The wheel in space. The wheel in space is a nosedive. Well, when it's returned, let's come back and and, and discuss that again. Mr. But there's not much love for it. But on the whole, you know, they're, they're rollicking good stories, aren't they? And they're the Daleks of their time. Mm. You know, Hartnell had the Dalek stories, which mm. are generally on the whole good, apart from the chase, which was again. And you can sort of see see where it was going mm. uh, with the, the the scale of it and the human agents towards the end. Yeah, yes. you could see what they were sort of. It was the idea was developing. You could see, you could see the the development. But did they just bottom out the Cybermen? Did we get a Cyberman overload? Because after that. It's slim pickings, isn't it? Well, it's funny you should mention that because the invasion appears in the middle of season six, which is on the whole a bit shit. Right. It's mm. the best, apart from the war games, perhaps. It is the best story in that season. Mm. So, mm. so to, to expect uh, a diamond in the rough you know, is, is, mm. is, is un, unreasonable. But there it is. You know, we, we did get a bit of a treat mm. on the decline. Maybe Still, the, the series was was on on the down at the time. Mm. And here's a big question kind of foreshadowing what we're going to be looking at later but is this the golden era for Cybermen? I think so. It's hard to see that it isn't uh, until the resurgence in the 80s. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Until the, the reimagining in the 80s it's, uh, it's hard to see that yeah. well I mean there was only one story wasn't there between the invasion and Earthshock which we'll be coming back to mm. we'll be coming back to later. But that's all we've got time for today. We've gone, we've rattled through our stories. Um, we'll be we'll be touching back on the Cybermen in a few episodes' time. Touching. And uh, joining us in that episode again will be the one and only David Banks. So do not miss it. <laughs> but uh, that's all for now. So see you next time for another exciting episode of 
Doctor Who, the complete financial. Almost. If you enjoyed listening to that twaddle, you can follow us on Twitter at DW Menagerie. That's at DW Menagerie, and we'll be tweeting various photographs of our inside leg measurements and that sort of thing. Doctor Who is copyright of the BBC. No infringements on copyright are intended. Support Doctor Who by purchasing DVDs and CDs and all other media from the BBC. Any comments made by the complete menagerie, <laughs> almost, are all our own. You've been listening to a Sixth Floor production.